Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 16 of the Ready Shit. Oh, my God. The Ready Set Shag podcast. Uh, I'm your host, the Shagsworth or Tom. Call me Tom. I don't know. I've been getting all like weird and informal with this, but I think it's weird when people call me the Shagsworth. But uh, so, yeah, if you don't know already, my name is Tom, so you can call me that. And I just I took a break last week because I needed to get some things in order. But I'm back this week to talk with uh, with my guests today. Um before we really get started, I do I do want to thank everyone who has contributed uh, on Locals. There's a lot of great post-show interviews that are from this podcast on there. I am starting to uh, upload some information regarding the story I've been writing. It's going to turn into a multi-part novel series uh, that I haven't really talked too much in depth about, but you can get a look at the world right now by checking out the map that I've developed for the very, very beginning of this story. Um, so thank you for those who have been supporting on YouTube, for those who have been supporting on Locals and all the other channels. There's going to be some changes coming up to this channel and all the other things in uh, in my content circle. So please, please keep an eye on that. Um, that aside, I'm going to bring my guest on now from uh, Culturescape. We have Mr. Peter Pischke. How you doing, sir? Doing good. I'm trying to No, it's like this. Yeah, I got it right. The flip of the camera always confuses me. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you reaching out when I was sort of calling for people to, to have on, you know, I, I think, uh, one of the things I've tried to, I try to separate myself in the way that I don't know everything and I need to talk to people. I need to get a lot of different perspectives on things. I was actually on uh, a TikTokers live stream today, debating like, uh, gender ideology <laughs> and, uh, debating whether or not, trans men are men, trans women are women. And it was, it was interesting because the, like the, what I've noticed is that each side likes to just be right. It's very yeah. hard for different sides to want to admit that they can appreciate one side or the other's point. And I was seeing that quite a bit. It was almost like they couldn't understand that I was like humanizing them and wasn't just calling them names. It was a, it was a very interesting uh, thing to be in. Cause normally I'm used to that coming from that side over here. Um, and or I think that's what they were used to was like a conservative or quote unquote conservative, just like yelling at them and calling them names. But that's not what they were getting. They were almost trying to get that rise out of me. And I just wouldn't let them have it. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give them the the lemonade. They were swanning so much. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I just can't, I can't do it. You know, pre-show we were talking about a mutual friend and how, um, you know, pe some people just can't seem to get past that This person might actually have a good take or something good to say about pop culture and entertainment. Um, it's just easier to rag Definitely. on them and, and keep the meme going, you know? So, Oh, Oh, that's, that's totally, you know, the culture scape, which is like, that's, I, I do other stuff. Uh, I'm a freelance journalist. I, uh, my main thing I do is uh, health reporting. I do a lot of copywriting, a lot of research, mostly for local outlets that want to cover health stories. And then I moonlight doing entertainment reporting and whatever else interests me at the time. And I can land the culture scape. That's this podcast, YouTube thing that I'm doing with Bain books. And that's really my big passion. And I, it's, it comes from exactly that. You know, I used to do some writing for outlets and, and nothing against them. I mean, they were kind enough to let me on and I'll always say that, but like, you know, post-millennial federalist town hall, et cetera. And there very much is that, that lack of interest in, in talking about culture, unless it's like the hammer you can use to bash over the other side's head with. And yeah. I just got so sick of that because I was like, no, there's so much amazing things here. I'm a nerd. I grew up being a nerd. You know, my dad, my grandfather, my family. We're nerds. We're geeks. We're introverts. We're probably not very healthy. And <laughs> I just love that kind of stuff. And it's just like, no, there's so much more here than just complaining about ragging and on Star Wars and Ray. It's like you're missing you're you're missing all of this. This is such a huge, cool thing. And uh, thankfully, uh, the people at Bain agreed with me. And it's been a really great project. I've been so happy to do it. That's really cool, man. Um, like I said, I didn't I didn't know much about you other than like just being in mentions here and there, like on Twitter, uh, and then seeing you in different chats. Um, what you said, you do some reporting on, on health, uh, mm -hmm. uh issues and, and stories. What, what about like health issues do you, uh, do you kind of focus on or do you have like a focus? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I went to grad school for health journalism. So the, I, that was actually my train before. And I, I didn't know if that's actually what I would end up working in, but that it did. So that's what happened. Um, the biggest topic that I've written on and have some national recognition, not to boast too much 
Um, okay, that was a bit of a humble break. But uh, uh, the opioid crisis, I cover a lot on the opioid crisis, disability issues, and then the flip side of the opioid crisis, which is the opioid prohibition, which is kind of like the backlash to it, where people in leadership, especially in government, are trying to solve the opioid crisis issue by taking away pain medicine and medical freedom from patients and doctors, which, of course, does not help matters at least so far and just causes a lot a lot more needless suffering so that's kind of like the big thing i talk about nationwide but i mean i i write about all kinds of things covid was big you know weird little thing in the news people have some crazy opinion on that's health related so it gets all over the place and people are weird in health like people get really easily offended on health because people all have these they're in their head like these are the right things like you know, I'll go to one person and they're like super into to nature therapy and like uh, essential oils. And they're oh. like, why does insurance cover this? Why why isn't everyone using this? You go to the next one. They're like, uh, they're all about like reflexology and like massaging feet. And yeah. everyone's really hyped on it. They don't want to hear their their pet health thing put down. So right. it, 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 it gets fun sometimes. People get really, really invested in a way I don't think you might see in other spheres, except maybe culture entertainment. I was going to say, like, I definitely see it in culture and entertainment, like how invested people get into, you know, I mean, we see it in the, in our circles, uh, you know, someone takes an IP, you know, we've seen a lot of that stuff recently between like Star Trek, Star Wars, they're taking older IPs and essentially rewriting them for modern audiences and watching people just sort of lose their minds and get super picky about things. And even I've been critical on like uh, for mission impossible uh, as for an example is, you know, everyone was hyping that movie up and it's gonna be the best thing. And I went and saw it and I was like, this movie kind of sucked. Like it wasn't that good. And everyone was like, no, it's great because Tom Cruise. And I'm like, no, objectively it was just not a well put together movie. It like, you just, and I went through a whole bunch of reasons, but like people just get so crazy sometimes that they just have to, they have to have their say in something. And I, I definitely saw it in the health, you know, side of things. I mean, I think a lot of people did regarding COVID. Yeah, um, definitely. And what I was going to say is, well, the comment I was going to make was how everyone was so vehemently against the pharmaceutical industry when it came to opioids, you know, uh, a few years before COVID hit. And we needed to like just dismantle this system. We need to like figure out like, why are we pushing drugs the way we are, especially, you know, this synthetic heroin, essentially? Um, why are we just like giving it to people frivolously? Um, and then COVID came along and it was like, well, we maybe we should trust all these people. Um, how, did, was it something that you noticed? Like it's People flip flop on experts all the time. And it's usually uh, I like them when they agree with me. And then when they don't agree with me, they're frauds. That's usually how it goes. And that doesn't mean that there aren't quacks and hacks and really bad people. There are, but that's yeah. not usually how it works. That's not really how people's brains tend to tend to think of things. And so, yeah, it was just, it's, uh, you see this in all kinds of things, right? So here in South Dakota, there were these fights over pipelines. So a few years back, it was the oil pipeline. And of course, mm -hmm. you know, half, uh, half the state's like, no, you can't do this. It's the worst possible thing in the world. And they get up and they get national um, support. They go out there and protest. Then this year, carbon pipeline. Oh, it's a carbon pipeline. So this is about this is about stopping global warming. And then everyone's like, okay, switch sides. Like everyone gets out of the chair, walks over, sits back down. It's like that often with uh, with health stuff. It's just like I liked big pharma until they they didn't have the medication I wanted. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, is maybe there... there is a point to you guys actually. <laughs> is there a way for, for someone who covers a lot of health stuff? Is there a way that you can sort of tell? the quacks from, I guess, the, the, the real doctors or scientists, like, is there, like, yeah. have you come across yeah, some I that guess people... there are a few ways? Yeah. I get what you're but... saying. Um, honesty is definitely one of them. Uh, so if they are being honest about the risks, so if, if they're telling you something and has zero risks, I, I see this, you know, uh, I, I grew up listening to conservative talk radio and there's a lot of this that I hear from people who are right wing and the like, Glenn Beck's The Blaze is pushing out all these ads about these alternatives to opioids, and they're they're basically hogwash. I mean, it's 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 complete bunk, you know. Uh, factor relief, whatever. It's like it's a compound. The biggest compound is, um, uh, you know, it's what you give old people and dogs for their joints. It's like it's not anything particularly revolutionary, but they'll push it out. Uh, and it's like that kind of thing because they're like it doesn't say, well, this might work for some people, and it might 
not work for others. It's more like this is the miracle drug. I can do everything. Right. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's it's like the old uh, snakes. Was it a snake oil salesman? That yeah, that oh, is yeah. one of the big ones. So honesty, humility, those are big keys. I would also say, um, how much are they willing to debate? Are they willing to talk to other people and and talk about it, or are they going to hide so that no, hmm. so they get no pushback and they can just get away with it? That is probably the other big signal, especially if you follow public health. If someone has a theory and they're willing to go to a conference and talk with other people about theory and debate and they look forward to having different kind of papers come out and the research duels that you know that's a good faith debate and that's how science should work unfortunately we have today and it's not i mean it's not talking maybe your viewers are super into we have a problem called uh, the vp value crisis which is basically that uh, roughly half of the stuff we're getting today out of uh science and medicine for on the research side is largely bunk and a lot of that is coming because we've set this up where these systems where people are so invested that they will not put up for debate. And so you aren't getting the cross current that you need for healthier research. So if they're not willing to do that, like that's a, a lot of the stuff I cover the opioids, one of these groups called uh, PROP, Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing, which they're just basically shills for the rehab industry. They're like that. They're like they, they are so careful where they go, who they talk to. That's like to me as a health reporter, that gives me a sense. Okay, are these people really interested in finding the truth? So we we had to get the best medicine, best thing for the patient, or is this about I like this pet issue, or maybe I'm getting paid and I don't want anyone to know about it, I don't want any pushback. Mm, that that's those are my tricks. I know that's a really long-winded answer, but there there really isn't an easy one. Well, that seems to be like I, I don't know. I think that's what kind of got me. So my experience with COVID was at the time that it all started, I was living in Hawaii. So there was a lot of sort of like uh, progressive propaganda, if you will, being thrown at me. And then just, I think by its very nature, YouTube, its very nature was there, there was YouTube videos coming out, but then they were just being sort of suppressed away that of like doctors questioning what was going on. They're like, this isn't how we conduct business usually, you know, and I don't know why we're listening to, to um, Dr. Fauci necessarily because he, he hasn't been a clinician for years. Like he, he's not in practice, you know, and us in practice, we go about things much different. And, and when these doctors were bringing up these, you know, and then there was these videos coming out like, Oh, you shouldn't listen to this because this is dangerous or because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it seemed, you know, as a normie in the, in the health industry, science industry, it, it seemed anti-science. It seemed like if you wanted to really, open up this discussion, we, we should be able to let, you know, doctors A and B talk to doctors X and Y and, you know, go from there. Like let, let the good ideas win out, let the bad ideas sort of fall by the wayside. And that's where I started being like, this doesn't seem right. And maybe I should, you know, maybe I should be skeptical, skeptical, but I was also in a position where I had a preemie. Uh, he was almost one year, one years old at the time, but his lungs had been under underdeveloped. He needed surgery. Oh, so wow. we were, yeah, yeah, we were, we were very worried because, you know, everything in all the literature and news coming out was that it's upper respiratory. You know, you got to be careful, like, especially with, um, you know, people with pre-existing conditions, all that, yada, yada. So we were in a very weird spot at the time. Like, even though I wanted to question this stuff, like I have to look out for my newborn because I don't want anything, I don't want my ignorance to get in the way of his development. Um, but that's where I kind of was. I was like, I was basically evaluating things in a very similar manner that you just sort of laid out. Like, you know, are these people allowed to question? And then things just got worse from there. Like when, when someone like um, Robert Malone or Peter, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Robert Malone started talking about um, immunology and, you know, the development of these MRNA stuff and like, and they couldn't say what they needed to say without, you know, being taken down. Like that started to be like, wait a minute. Is this really, are people really reporting on this like, like the way they should? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When uh, Joe Rogan, he had the Weinstein brothers who are friends of his. Um, one yes. of them is a very famous uh, medical scientist. And if they even talk secondhand about a, someone else that has these different theories, that was enough for them to get taken down. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It, it's a big problem. It's, ha it, it's getting worse in public health and health institutions right now because this mind virus that says that 
wrong thing is the most dangerous thing there is. Therefore, there should be no criticism or pushback. It, it's now in the medical field and you see it in medical schools. You see it at the AMA. It was a little slower to get there than the rest of the other institutions in the country. But now they're dealing with that now. And, but it's obvious, right? I mean, anyone could tell you it doesn't work. You go to an anti-vax and you're like, well, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> right. Like, you're a bad person. You should feel bad. And yeah. it, does that convince anyone? No. Nope. Uh, well, they, I don't know if they are, if they really are interested in changing minds or not. I can't totally tell. But if they were interested in changing minds, you wouldn't just shut shut down people completely. You would explain why this is, why it is this way we think and why your other theory may be wrong. And that works. That's the effective way to explain it. That's that's actually the uh, the way we handled it, you know, till the last 15, 20 years. I mean, you look at the history of vaccinations, that's it. It's like right. this is a really crazy new thing that's unlike anything we've ever done before. <laughs> but let's let's tell you why you should do it, not, you know, oh, you're so awful, you won't get our polio vaccine. <laughs> it it's just social shaming doesn't work generally. Yeah. It, it's yeah. a giant failure. I, I've just noticed too, like, I don't know, I think the whole, the, the way, the way that the reporting was done surrounding COVID opened my mind to other things too, just about how the, I think even like, I guess, pharmaceuticals and the medical uh, industry in the United States is, is like, is such a for-profit um, enterprise, you know I mean? It's in everything. And I didn't really notice it until people started pointing out like, like Zuby is one, like, I know he's, I mean, he's a public figure. He's not a scientist or anything, but he made a comment once on Twitter saying, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm here in America and like everything has some sort of like, um, pharmaceutical advertisement. And then it's this happy ad. And then, uh, 30 seconds worth of all the, <laughs> all the side effects. Like, he's like, this doesn't happen anywhere else. It's like, it's, it's a very American institution. Mm -hmm. Um, like even that just opened my eyes to that. And like, while I know that this stuff existed, it was weird to see it on a, a much broader scale or, you know, I don't, it seemed it anyway. Uh, yeah. America does have, I mean, far, there are pharmaceutical companies in, in other countries, right? They, yeah. They're not as big necessarily uh, or provide the same role, but they make plenty of money inside those socialized systems. And they have inside the socialized systems, they have cartels that effectively are almost like big pharma. But the problem in the U.S. isn't that we have big pharma. It's that we've consolidated all the companies down. Uh, even 20 years ago, there was double, triple the amount of companies we have now that work on vaccines. The re big reason we're having the shortages is because McKesson and some others decided to pull out of making generics. Like every year we have fewer companies making pharmaceuticals, doing research for pharmaceuticals. And as that consolidation comes more and more, the, the negative incentives increase. And so they're less incentive to let a different opposing drug come out. And they're more incentivized. Well, this is our one big earner. We have to protect it, you know, over anything else. And that causes a lot of problems. And, and a big reason for that, the consolidation, I mean, besides it's just kind of the trend where things are going right now, you see on Wall Street, but also it's our litigation. Um, the U.S. has by far the worst litigation system when it comes to medicine, period. And it's largely the biggest driver of why it costs so much to do anything in medicine in the U.S. And you will talk to any doctor and there's always a constant worry about, am I going to be sued? What's going to happen? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a big problem because it, it makes it very difficult to operate when you have like, you know, everyone that could possibly there breathe down your neck. And then you're also having to deal with the FDA and it just squeezes. It just squeezes and squeezes. And so you get to people who are like, you know what? We make money from Viagra. That's what we're going to focus on. <laughs> vaccines. People hate us now. We're not going to do that. Well, the problem is they get out of the vaccine business. You have less vaccines. You have less disease preventing. You have less research for future vaccinations. And unfortunately, that is the situation <laughs> with uh, Big Pharma. Not that Big Pharma is good. They have major issues. Uh, but they provide an important role. And that, unfortunately, is being diminished. Yeah, I feel like there's, I don't know, and I don't know if it's a product of our time or whatever, you know, there's, you know, there is, there's a part of me that realizes like, I mean, Big Pharma, to, to some extent, provides a service to people that we need, right? Like we need medication, we need vaccines. Um, it's, it's made me look at them a little different. The past couple of years has made me look at them a little different. But, you know, I think it, like so many of the issues that we talk about, whether it's in entertainment, health, um, politics, 
we, we need to find a healthy balance of like, well, what, what role does this need to serve and how do we, how do we keep it from getting too out of control? You know, like, yes, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know I don't want big pharma to go away. I want to be able to get medication if I need it. Um, go ahead. And that's, that's the biggest problem though, with the culture wars and you, the culture is a great way to explain it because it isn't just culture. Do you think the, until the discussions around star Wars were getting better or worse after everyone decides, you know, this is now our pet issue. Do you feel like, do you feel like there was more organic talk? Do you feel like there's better concepts of storytelling or, or more interest in it? It's the same thing with politics. It's the same thing with medicine. If we make it a situation where I can't talk to the other side, we cannot have a debate that stifles innovation that stifles correction. Uh, you know, homework is a lot easier if you don't have to submit to the teacher. Uh, right. Uh, I think that's what's happening. And I think, I think, in some way, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't have mad theories, but people sometimes say, well, the state of the contention with the sides, the culture, whatever term you want to use for it, it does seem to benefit certain big players very much. And they might have an incentive to keep it going this way. Yeah, I, I think that sometimes. Yeah, no, I do. I do too. And I'm glad you brought it up because I, I think that's one of the reasons I, I sort of like, you know, like facepalm sometimes at the content I see is that I'm all for judging things um, on on their merits. And, it, you know, I, I can agree in, in a lot of ways that the, the entertainment that we've seen come out of Hollywood recently has just been garbage. But I, you know, I don't want to, I don't ever want to become the person who is just trashing it because I need to trash it. Like there, there's things that I like, you know, and I, I want to be able to talk about those things and, it seems like again we've we've gotten to a point on the critic side, the fellowship side, the the Iron Age side that if we don't keep up with the Joneses uh, in our in our entertainment sphere, mm -hmm. that we we will be pushed to say, oh you can't listen to that guy he likes he likes yes. Lady in the Water, yes. Shags true. likes Lady in the Water, no way he doesn't know shit about movies and it's like well allow me to say why you know what i mean like maybe i'll have a point that you, you might like and it's why to, i think I, I don't know if i said uh on the show but I, I was in someone's tiktok live today talking about some things and i i like to expose myself to ideas that like make me uncomfortable that put me in a place that i have to think on my feet you know i know it's not for everybody but i think if we're going to be good critics that we have to be able to defend our ideas. Uh, even if we slip up, even if I mess up, you know, my, my wording or my arguments, mm -hmm. like uh, I might know next time, well, I got to make sure I bring this to the table, make sure you research this a little more. Um, but we got as, even as normies, like even a, even someone, an everyday person needs to be able to defend their ideas. in I think a respectable manner it doesn't mean you have to be well-researched, but just know enough, like when to, when you can stop your opinion or when you, you don't know enough anymore. You say, well, I like it because it was entertaining. Perfect. That's a perfectly viable reason. Yeah. There's a lot of guilt of association that's on both sides. I've seen a lot with the, I, I don't know how quite to describe them. It's not exactly right wing per se, but in the, the more popular YouTube crowds probably on the same side you're talking about with iron age. And there's a lot of guilt of association attacks or like you're friends with that one person, or you said something nice about that other person. It's very um, middle school, girl clickish and i yeah. see it a lot and i yeah. it's like i like a lot of people and just liking someone does not change who i am or, or what i believe or what i've done I'm, I'm friendly with a lot of people and there's nothing wrong with that in fact that's a good thing we should be friends with people who are very different from us because that's how we learn and grow and that's how they learn and grow but people just certain people do not want that to happen and i i you know i'd probably be a bigger uh influencer youtuber or what if I understood the answer to that question, but it, it is a thing. I do see it a lot. It, it frustrates me. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I think, and that's why I get disappointed with YouTube and maybe my progress on YouTube. Sometimes I think, well, I'm just not towing the line and I'm not willing to tow the line because I just don't agree. And you know, it, I need to stay true to my values, right? Like I don't believe that thing. And I don't, I don't even know how I would fake believing that thing. So I guess I'll just leave it alone. And, you know, uh, you know, like when you're, when you're doing YouTube content, it's like you either keep up with it 
and you know kind of ride that algorithm wave or you stop and things stop like they slow down you know they the youtube wants content and when you don't give it content it doesn't necessarily share it out there um but yeah it's it's been something i've battled with and I, we, we talked pre-show a little bit about just how i thought about just straight up giving up on on this stuff because it it was just too much like i it was it was gonna break me um but then i i just think well just Talk about things you like. Talk to people that you want to under, understand and know. People will come. People will, you know, as long as they feel or seem genuine about it. Um, you know, you could, I mean, you. I'm sure you can tell when you're watching something that seems to be a contrived mess or, you know, mm -hmm. formulaic to a point of, you know, like pandering or something. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what your journey has been like on YouTube or how long you've been at it, but... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I had I had tried a little bit here and there on YouTube previously, toyed around, but not too much investment. Um, uh, it's more like in the last year that I I put more efforts towards it. Uh, the only reason I can really do it, um, because I have some difficult disabilities. Uh, I I had a friend that's helping me edit them, Chris uh, Hollywicky, who's like I think he's at Drunken Atheist on Twitter. Really nice guy. He helps me a lot. I don't think I could have done it without his help. Um, the good people at Bain, they've been very helpful, especially helping us to find people, set up interviews. Um, you know, just especially when, you, when you're starting out so small and you, it's hard to convince people to take a chance on you. Either yeah. it's because they look at you and your numbers are small or maybe they're like, I don't know if I can I can trust that person. Maybe they're just going to try to stab me in the in the groin or something. Right. <laughs> so so I, I, I get that. I get guilt trips all the time. Like I'm not doing enough on YouTube. I need to do more, you know, but I, I keep coming back, you know, when I ponder on it's like, look, you can only do the best you can do. And I think the advice is like, when it comes to content, if you're not keeping up with the treadmill, does that, does that hurt you in some ways? Yes, that is true. But more importantly, the content you need to be putting out is good. And you just need to, you know, continually when you do put out content, make sure it's good. And that's kind of, what I, that's the strategy I am focusing on currently, but I am not in no way an expert on the magical inner workings of YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm suspect of anyone who claims to really know what's, what's at work behind, behind YouTube. I, I've kind of given up. Um, but yeah, so let's, I want to talk to you about your, I mean, getting into journalism. I mean, you went to school for it. Yep. Um, after school, like where, or I guess during school, like what was your first like real foray into like, where, where were you publishing first? Um, like what outlets were you with first? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I attended undergrad I studied journalism eventually went to, uh, by the way, this was not planned. It just kind of happened this way. Then eventually went to grad school to do health journalism. Really that, that especially was like a really good training for me. Um, I started out mostly writing for local outlets. Um, getting national is a little harder. And then when I did national, it was pretty much just free work. It was, you know, getting, convincing someone to even take you on or yeah. very, very low pay. Uh, it's trying to get your foot in the door. Uh, the problem with journalism is it's dying. It won't all the way die, but it is depleting itself. And a lot of that is damage it did to itself with the deals it made, in particular when it decided that when the news industry decided at the end of the 90s that they didn't want to put in the investment to market themselves and put themselves online, they would let someone else do it. That kind of was like the worst possible decision they could have ever made. <laughs> and that, that's basically why like the news industry is just, you know, it's shriveling up. And so it's like musical chairs of the Titanic. And it's like, you know, I have people who are like close friends, right? And you will go to them, oh, you're, you know, would you be willing to help me email this editor? Would you be willing to help me out? And they're like, no, they're like, they'll like, they'll like have a sword and they're ready to stab you. Because like everyone is just so scared. Everyone's so desperate to keep their little piece of cheese and they yeah. don't want to lose it. So things are really intense right now. I would not recommend anyone to go to school for journalism uh, and try to go into it unless it was something that they were very passionate about and something they would work. If you're treating it kind of like as an artist, like this is a valuable public service for our community, for our nation. Okay, awesome. Do it. Go for it. That's great. If you're thinking you're going to have a living, <laughs> that that's where I'm like, uh, maybe rethink this a little bit. Do you think that, um, I don't know, I always laugh when I, when people say they're like going to culinary school. Um, 
I'm like, just, just go get a job at a restaurant. Like there's like, there's nothing you can't learn while getting paid to do the job, like working your way through, like you're, you're wasting money by going to culinary school. They're just going to teach you how to boil water. They might teach you like some back end stuff, uh, paperwork wise, but you could get all this training on the job, getting paid. Is journalism like kind of something similar? Like you could just, you could sort of do yes. in your downtime and then just kind of work your craft that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Journalism traditionally, people always hate me when I say this. Journalism traditionally and its native format is a working class job. People hate to hear that because they hate journalists, but it is true. Um, <laughs> it, it, it Traditionally, it was not anyone that had any training. They just needed to be literate and they had to be willing to put in the work to track down stories. And that's all okay. it had to be. That's how George uh, Benjamin Franklin became famous. He was a journalist. He was really good at it. He was really annoying. I mean, his brother hated him. But uh <laughs> Uh, th that's what it is. And then there was a decision when they professionalized journalism in the 1900s. It, that, that was a good idea, by the way. The objectivity standard, at least working towards it, very good idea. There were some very good things that did need to happen, and I'm glad they did. But in the 1900s, we're getting closer to our time now. It became more like you have to go to journalism school if you want to do the real work, if you want, really want to get ahead. And that's kind of what changed. I think it's probably going to go back to the other way. Because, I mean, now it's like if you work at most of the entertainment outlets, uh, especially the blog ones, you know, like CBR, um, mm. it's, they're just basically becoming uh, AI ranches. It's just like this guy that watches over his AI cows. You know, and he milks them once a day. <laughs> We're like, oh, here's the stories. Here you yeah. go. It's yeah. like, you need a college degree for that? I, I'm pretty sure you don't. Uh, so do you it's think that, do you think uh, newspapers, I guess, abandoning the newspaper has contributed to the downfall of journalism in some way? Or do you think that was just a sort of a necessary step? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a self-feedback, right? Because it's like you, like, you can't get readership and so you shrink the paper, but you shrink the paper, you just shrunk your, you know, the people that were interested in being in reading you. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's hard to break that. I have a friend, Joe, uh, Joe Sneeve out here in South Dakota. Our, our Sioux Falls local paper used to be really good, the Argus Leader. And he used to work for it. He was kind of like their, their last star reporter. Great guy. Um, and then it, it's just so fallen apart. You know, every newspaper basically has either disappeared or it's gotten eaten up, usually by a giant Chinese conglomerate. And he's like, I'm sick with it, sick of this. And he grabbed another guy around here that did a lot of opinion work. And they just started up a little, a little Substack newspaper, the Dakota Scout. And it's doing, it's doing fantastic. So there is a way to do it, right? Th theoretically, but it is mm -hmm. very difficult. And part of the problem is people have not been trained to support news that they want to pay for it. This is just like comics. There are lots of comics readers. There are very few customers. Uh, that is how news is. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, well, but how do we, how do we pay for this? <laughs> like people complain about why don't they do real news stories? Well, it's like real news stories is hard. It's like, you have to tell your guy, okay, so I heard this one thing. It might be true. It might not. Can you give me a week to hunt it down? Or like a really big story? Can you give me six months that you're going to be on salary six months? You are probably not going to be putting on a lot of stories working on that. And it could be at the end of this thing. You find actually there is no story here at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. They don't do that. That's too risky. So they just put out opinion, opinion garbage over and over again. That's a big reason why so much of the content mills are just worthless. It's because it's so expensive to do any real journalism. It's so much easier to put out, you know, a puff piece or complaining or some op-ed. And unfortunately, the problem is it means the information we are getting is less nutritious. It's less useful. And I think especially with smaller communities where they, they, the, they have less reliability on getting the news out in their area. It's very detrimental because mm -hmm. then it's like the very basic information that you rely upon to make decisions where you can't even get that now. And I think that's kind of where we're headed. I hope there'll be a news renaissance, but I just, I just don't know. I, I, I'm not good at figuring out the portents of the future when it comes to news. It is an important thing, but you have to convince people it's important. And unfortunately both sides hate journalism and journalists currently and not for totally uh unreasonable uh uh, uh explanations uh some of that probably is deserved and um, it's unfortunate well that's what I, I i think you're right i i we we have to be coming to a, a news renaissance at some point because like you said it's the the content we're consuming 
as news is is much less nutritious. I I think that's a perfect way of putting it because most of the stuff I read now is just some op-ed piece that isn't really backed by anything other than the author's personal bias, be it conservative, liberal, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's usually some opinion trash and it, you know, the headline markets it as something that is nutritious, but then you eat it and you're like, "Ugh, like what is that?" Like it so you're yeah, less nutritious is probably the perfect way of putting it. And I think on some level, I mean, people still need to know what's going on. So whether that renaissance takes place locally, which is likely because it's easier to manage these local places, you get like your friend who's who looks at what their life's work and where they've been being like, this is I can't do this anymore. Like we need to start something and really giving some, you know, real news to people, you know, and then they start up their own thing. So it'll probably be on a local level that we see it. And I think we need it sooner rather than later. Um, but as someone in the chat said, it's, it's, it changes hard. You know, it's not an easy thing for someone to take up a mantle and being like, you know what? The New York times is, you know, just liberal trash. Let's, you know, it's liberal operate trash. Let's, let's start our own thing. And then trying to get people there, you know, it, how do you rebuild trust inside, uh, inside the journalism community? You know, mm-hmm. do we, do we root out all these weeds? You, you know, you, uh, you got to pull everything up or do we have to let these publications die out? Just like Hollywood. Do we have to let these big studios die out from, you know, from all the garbage that they're putting out? I don't, I don't know the answer. What, what do you think is if, if there is a Renaissance that's to take place, where does it, like, how does it start? And like, how do we even get there? I, I'm not totally certain. There are plenty of independent journalists right now and that will cover their own beat. And they hope that, and they do support their work with like a micro community, maybe some big person helping backing them. But it's a very difficult, it's not easy. People will say this. Well, why don't you just get on Substack? <laughs> you know, it's like, why won't you just, if you really want to make it, why don't you get on Patreon? Because obviously if you're on Patreon, they'll just come flooding. Those dollars just, just <laughs> poof. They're right there. Right. It's like, no, that's not how it works. That's not yeah. how any of this works. It's like, I, I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. But there are a lot of people who are independent, and most people I know who cover the news are sick of it. Uh, I'm friends with some people who are in the mainstream media, um, some who are lefties. If I said their names, uh, people would hate me. And like, I talk to them, and they hate it too. Like, they hate it maybe for different reasons. Mm-hmm. they notice it as well like here on the right if they cover tech we're like this is so biased and there's not any real news here and then i'll talk to my friend who works at the washington post and their tech and celebrity coverage he's like i try to sell basic things to my editors i'm like look this is huge this person like it's like you even youtube like you could have this guy has millions of viewers and he's like having this really big impact but they're like i, I don't care i want to know about it and she's like, it's so hard to convince these people like to take on what is obviously a big story, but because they have no interest in it, they won't cover it. And I think part of this is like our politics where the, the baby boomers, I don't like to use this term, but they have to die out. We need, we need to pull out, pull out the old guys because apparently they are not totally getting it and they don't really want to change. But that's like, a, that's like, that's like everything these days, right? It's politics. It's business. I mean, I don't know what you do about that. Yeah. I don't have a lot of good answers. I'm sorry. Uh, a little bit no, of a pessimist. I think that's no, but I think that's, I think that's one of the crux of the, of the whole problem is that there, there's so much that we can identify that's wrong what, as a community and you know, what, what, whatever you're in, the, the solutions are much harder, right? Like it's, we, we can sit here and complain all day. That's why a lot of, a lot of people have channels is because we can complain very, very well. Mm-hmm. Offering up the solutions is the hard part. And not only that, but implementing those changes or, you know, being, uh, being the example is hard. Like, yeah. Oh, you start a Patreon, start a Substack. Oh, <laughs> why didn't I think, you know, it's sure. Mm-hmm. I could sit there and write a Substack every day. Does that mean people are going to come and read it? No. I mean, I could pump out a short story every week. But you can only do something that you love and pa- are passionate about for so long before you wonder, well, what's the end, right? Like I can only selflessly do something to try and help before you're just like, well, this isn't working. No one's paying attention. No one sees, you know, the fruits of my labor. Um, but you know, I think I, I, I can say that I, I do think that creating independent media where you can is important. You know, honestly reporting on on things. 
from a, from a different angle or from a more uh, objective and honest angle and not so much opinion, I think is where we can start. But, you know, it, I don't know. I'm with you, man. I don't know what, what the answer is. I just know that it needs to change and it probably needs, we, we probably need to come down several levels. The national news is, is just an entertainment farm at this point. It's yep. 24 hours of entertainment, exactly. not even news. Yep. Yeah. Um, I know I completely agree. You know, one of the things that was kind of my background and people who might have followed me a while probably wonder I don't do more content like say I did three, four years ago. That's a bit more uh, contentious. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Um, it's like I was doing the health stuff, right? And so I'm and I do covering the opioid crisis. I'm talking with a lot of people who are disabled people. So it's either them that that so they have a disability or a serious illness and they lost access to medication, uh, pain medication especially, or they have a family member that did. And I would get these emails, these DMs all the time. I, I still do. And it's like, they're so sobering, right? And it's like, there's this real world with this reality where this is like a terrible thing is happening. And then, you know, I'm out here, I'm complaining about, you know, uh, Star Wars or, you know, whatever's the new Disney thing of the week. And it, 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 does, it did make me think, I was like, Hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe I need to rethink some of these things because there's like, this is very important. This is actually impacting people. I've, I've heard, I've, I know, maybe this is my, my humble brag again, but you know, I, in my stuff, trying to cover it or talk about it, that's a lifeline for some people because it gives them hope that someone out there cares about this issue and cares what's happening to them. Mm. And it's like, that is so valuable and that's so real. And it's not like I don't enjoy entertainment. I, I still, I love especially game reporting. I hope maybe that might happen one day or a nice contributorship somewhere, but it, it makes you think and really does make you think. And me as a, as someone that was in journalism to have that dose of reality was really good for me. But I think for a lot of people who work in journalism, especially entertainment, they might not necessarily be getting that. Uh, I don't know how to fix these. I don't know how to fix, fix the media. I can only handle me, but as for me, I try to do the best I can. You know, be be the best, do the best research, be the most supportive, be the best honest, you know, provide valuable information to my readers. And at the end of the day, it's all you can do. Just do your best and hope it makes an impact. And now and then I get an email from someone. They say, well, I was going to kill myself. And then I found your thing. And I'm like, wow. Right. <laughs> what do I even how do I even respond to that? And so it's like, OK, well, maybe I didn't think anyone was watching, but maybe this did make a positive impact. I, I think, I think maybe that's the approach to take as individuals for these kind of things. Cause it's like, you never, we do good and we may not realize who is watching, but someone might be watching and, and might have made a big impact with them. I have noticed that. I mean, I guess what I've realized about the internet is something I've always known is it's a really big place, a really big place. And the more you do, and I, this is, I guess, true in so many aspects of life. It's, it's about doing right. Like the more you do something, the more chances that your stuff is out there, that it'll come across someone's feed. You know, I, I've noticed that every time I go to a meetup like this week, uh, this past week was FanX here in Salt Lake city. I went down and I was able to see drunk three PO and I met Gina Carano for the first time, nice. you know, like, so being able to connect with people like every time I do that, there's some bump to like my stuff getting out. Like I've noticed my impressions have gone up um, over the past couple of weeks just from, you know, like just scaling back a little bit and like commenting on things that I'm a little bit more passionate about. Or I think that, you know, draws a line to where like I, I understand, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's such a weird beast because Sure, keep going. But in this void that you sort of scream into and hope that someone catches your words and you do get, you know, some feedback like that, because I've gotten the same same thing. Oh, I've had such an amazing day. And then I turned your stuff on and it, it like, or I had a, a bad day and I turned your stuff on and it just, it, it put me back into like a good mood or it gave me hope. And I think that's the point. But how long are we supposed to scream into that void? You know, um, and, you know, because like I was saying earlier, you or as the saying goes, you stare into the void long enough, it, you know, stares back. And in some regards, that was what was happening. I felt like no matter what I was putting out there, 
there wasn't anyone sort of calling back. Um, and it, it's, it's scary. It's almost like the internet is no different than real life. It's just in some regards, a little bit scarier because there's, there's a lot more unknowns, but it mirrors real life in a lot of different ways. Uh, but yeah, I, it, first, I don't envy someone in your position who's trying to make a living with journalism because it's, it's such a noble cause and it's something that we need. But this day and age, it seems, it seems hopeless in a lot of ways. And I, mm-hmm. and w- not to get so long winded, I apologize for taking up no, your you're time. Fine. I, I, I like listening to your, your um, thoughts on these subjects. Uh, and I don't, I don't get to talk about this stuff very much, especially like journalism stuff. Uh, I was listening to uh, the, the PPD podcast, Paul, Paul Bet David, he's a, I guess, a conservative commentator. Um, he does a podcast, big Armenian guy, deep voice. You probably, I don't, if you know who I'm talking about, um, you'd recognize him if you saw him probably, but he had Chris Cuomo on his podcast a couple months ago. And I listened to that thing. It was a three hour podcast. I could not get enough of it. And as much as people hate Chris Cuomo, I saw a side of him that I was like, okay, there is hope in journalism because even he, like you're saying, like your friends are so fed up with certain aspects of like liberal outlets. I could even tell from listening to him that like he is fed up with, with a lot of the stuff that's going on in the mainstream. And like, you could tell that he was just playing his part in everything, you know, to support his family. Do I agree with everything he says? Do I think he's a great guy? No, there's, there's some stuff still that I would probably think is a little sus, but I taking the time to listen to him talk about his career and the things that matter to him. Like I could have, I, I would have gone my whole life thinking something completely different. Had I not heard that, that show and understanding, like even people in the industry are just done. They, they don't know what to do anymore. And they're abandoning these big, these big outlets for smaller, more independent stuff where they can actually talk about like things that they're passionate on. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I think the, I got to, I guess I have two stories on this. I know we're running out of time. Um, the, the first one is I recently got to interview and talk with the guy who founded uh, Cinema State and Giant Freaking Robot. That was really cool. Very nice gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of, he pointed to something very similar. And it's, it's in his mind, the media that we kind of, as we know it, especially entertainment, is dying. And the real reasons are, number one, uh, the content is just, it's just so poor in quality. And two, it's because of the, the what the investments they made into these other companies, special social media, Google, et cetera. And so now they're being cut off traffic. But that doesn't mean journalism ends. It just changes. And now the new journalism are influencers and YouTubers. And of course, there are really bad ones, but that's true of anything. But there's some really good ones. Some I some of my favorite um, game YouTubers that I watch. I watch uh, the Bellier folks about game design, or, or I watch Matt McMuscles. He does these little 15, 20 minute documentaries about uh, ga- giant game failures. I love that stuff. That's journalism. That's mm-hmm. collating information and breaking into it and analyzing. So there, there is it is still there. And look, in the human heart, there is a desire for truth and reliable and reliable facts, and that will never deplete, no matter how much changes and that that gives me hope too one of the things it kind of hurt me in some ways with some of the people we probably both know but it's also one of the better experiences of my life uh, uh the start of this year i got to interview uh miss frosk which was the woman who was probably most hated on the internet <laughs> last year which is not mm-hmm. an easy thing to do mm-hmm. uh you know and i came to that and i was like you know in my mind I was like well this is someone that I have written negatively about and I had very low opinions of, and I'm coming to her and I'm like, well, what do I do? I should, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I railroad her, you know, and I could get those clips that wouldn't that be really good for me. But then I had to say, but is that kind of thing I want to do as a person, um, as a Christian, as a journalist, is that the kind of thing I want to do? And I was like, I got it. You know, I, and I was like, no, that's not, she has taken the time to get on my show. She's putting herself in a vulnerable situation. So I'm going to be honest, but fair. I'm going to try to treat her with respect. And that's what I did. And talking with her was crazy. It was like a three, almost four hour thing. And it was like everything I thought I had understood put in the new context had totally told a different story. And she was actually a very interesting, reasonable, rounded person. Did I disagree with a lot? Yeah, certainly. But she wasn't the monster that had been sold me. And I think 
if you get more of that, if you get more people willing to be honest, and I think that's that's kind of the danger. Like when we do start finally to talk to each other, a lot of these things are going to crumble because we'll realize they were built on sand. They were just trying to keep us divided because we're not that different. People are always jumping down my throat. Like we have like some weird different goals. But if you compare us to like the rest of the world, even Americans on the left and right are very, very similar and have very similar mindsets and goals mm. and desires and what they think is the good thing to have in life. Uh, that that is true and i we shouldn't we shouldn't let um whether you're religious you feel like you know it's um the devil's keeping us apart or you know you're atheist and you have you know i don't know whatever it is whoever is trying to keep us apart that all falls apart when we do the right thing and when we treat each other with respect and we just try to go back to basics and that's why i have hope you know i am very pessimistic but about people and doing the right thing i am very hopeful because it's like there, there are more of us than there are of the, the people who are just, you know, shills and they hate everything. It's not that won't last. It never lasts. Yeah, I, I think that's one. It's it's funny because I've talked about this with some other people. Like, I, I feel in some regards, I'm trying to put myself out of a job with the content I do because I'm constantly saying, you know, go to meetups, like stay offline, um, be involved in your real life you know, don't, don't just live your life online, you know? And I, cause I think that's where, that's where your change is going to be made, right? Being present with your family, being present in your community, not on the online community. I mean, obviously be in my online community, but if you're going to institute change, it's not going to be, you know, your, your keyboard warrior days are going to be numbered because you're really not going to change a whole lot there. Sure. I can expose things or you can expose things that are going on around the world, but you got to be, you got to take those in and then filter it through your community brain. And then, okay, is this stuff happening in my community? No. Okay. Like then you kind of go through the flow chart and make, you know, just again, be present where you are and, and Definitely. fight those battles, you know? And it's, mm -hmm. it's weird to say, but when I talked to my, my high school friend, a couple episodes ago, we, he even said as like a raging liberal, he's like, I work in a very conservative town at a bar. And most of these people, they probably know I'm progressive, but like, we just talk like normal people. And I said, yes, that's the point, man. But like, and, and, and like you said, we are very much the same in a lot of ways and removing politics from discussion people won't think twice about respecting one another. You know, it's just, it's when you start putting this stuff in your head too much. It's when you go down like the crazy anti-vaxxer, uh, like, uh, conspiracy theories and all that mm. stuff that like, that's when things start to get really out of hand. Cause you're not actually looking at stuff, uh, or, or like flat earthers, like what in the, you know, like, where is this coming from all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, people like people don't believe birds are real, like the serious ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if people just realized give, you know, removing this, this stimuli, uh, the online like social contagion that we're like constantly inundated with, we will, we will treat each other pretty well. Of course there's outliers. Of course there's people that are just abhorrent, awful, evil individuals, but 99% of your interactions are with good people. And I've even said this about the restaurant industry because I spent 15 years in the restaurant industry. Almost everyone I dealt with were great, wholesome, awesome people. But that fraction of like really hungry, angry people just made everything look so bad. You know, like, oh, everyone's awful. No one likes this place. No, a lot of people like this place. But when the bad people come out, it's just very glaringly obvious, you know? And I think that's a lot of what we see online. Like those really bad people, they're a very small number, but the mm -hmm. stuff that they're talking about is so bad that you're just like, you can't help but apply it to so many more um, or even paint one side of the political spectrum or the other. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how human brains work. We make associations because, you know, back in the Savannah, you know, when you, when you are out there, you're, you know, trying to look for food, you're hunting the wildebeest or whatever. And you see the, the bush rustle, the guy yeah. who says, uh, don't worry about it. He's not right. the one we're descended from. Right. Uh, yeah. it, it's that other guy, the one, yeah. <laughs> the paranoid one. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, and I think, and I do think a lot of, you know, our life, I think given the hard history 
that our ancestors had to to fight through, you know, have given all of us, all of us online have a very, like comparatively, a very cushy life compared to our grandparents and their parents. I mean, these are people who fought wars, uh, multiple wars in their lifetime. And most of us have avoided that. Um, not all, of course, but most have. And, but they've given us a lifetime that we can sort of sit on our heels and start inventing things to be mad at, uh, not real issues that I think we should be fighting. We've, and we've gone to a more global mindset, which I don't think is necessarily bad, you know, like I'm all for protecting the environment, but like are humans going to save the planet? Probably not. Um, I think there's always things that we can do, but I don't think, I think, um, I think it's pretty crazy to say that we are responsible for, all of this and we are responsible for turning it around. Um, you know, doesn't make me anti-climate change, but I certainly think like maybe there's another angle to this that we could look at. I don't know. Um, just, just be the change you want to see. If all you're doing is complaining and you're not contributing anything, that you're the problem. Like if right. you're just going to complain about how everything is wrong, you're not going to do anything about it or, or at least, you know, try somehow make some small gesture. Yeah. Like, you know, shut up. I mean, you're free to have your opinion, but it's not very constructive. Right. And I think, I think like you said, having, um, having a solution in mind or offering up something that we can do to sort of change. Like, I think that's the difference between people who are going to make the change and those who are just there to sort of profit off of, you know, outrage in, in a lot of ways. Like, well, what's the solution to this? And there's, and, and what's great is that the iron age creators, like, they are offering up solutions. What's the solution? It's this brand new story and IP that I'm developing for people to consume. It might not be great, but we're seeing so many more of them, you know, through the writer's strike, we're seeing um, independent studios pop up. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Eric July, you're, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Eric July's stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was he was the first guy. Oh, I wasn't the first one I interviewed, but the first episode we did was with him uh, right after he bought his warehouse. So, yeah, I know Eric. Yeah. So, I mean, that, like, that's the solution, right? It's, it's act, putting things into action. Like, I don't like this thing. And because of that, this is my solution to it. A brand new universe that we can start or he can start and engage with rather than just doing that. And that, that's what I like to see is, is seeing people really start to, you know, and those are the people I want to follow because they're, they're offering up these things that I can, I can try or not try. Uh, and, but I'm not beholden to the things I don't, I don't like essentially. So, and I, and you're in the work you're doing with all your independent news and, and talking about, um, the things that you're passionate about with health and entertainment, like that's the stuff I want to consume. And like, I apologize for not knowing too much of your stuff beforehand, but like I started looking through your videos and they're interesting, man. They're, they're, they're stuff that I can easily listen to as I'm driving around. And that's the, the kind of stuff. I want to hear from normal people that are passionate about subjects. So, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, it makes yeah. me happy when I hear people listen to it or they liked something in it. That's why it's why I keep doing it. I, I enjoy it. I like talking to these people. I'm glad they put up with me. Oh, for sure. Like I, I think sometimes like people are like, how'd you get so-and-so on your podcast? I'm like, oh, I asked and they, they said, yes, like they, someone's taken a chance on the little guy. And I think that says a lot about them. And I think it says a lot about the world that we're in is that there are even big names that want to, that want to give someone else a chance. Like maybe they recognize where they were at one point and someone gave them a hand up and, you know, not to say that having someone big on my show is just going to propel me into the stratosphere, but it might get me a little bit higher up and allow for someone else to, you know, vet my ideas and my thoughts. And that's, I think that's what it's all about. And I'm, I'm sure you can attest to that. Like, Every little bit you climb is another way for people to vet what you've done and sort of test your theories. And like, do, do people believe what I'm saying? Like, am I doing a good job? Am I putting enough information out there? Um, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about that? Do you think that that's kind of like the, the progression of things? Like as you're moving up in, in like in journalism or anywhere that you're just you're just exposing yourself to a few more people and they're like testing you? Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's generally correct. It's at least 
I don't know what life. I mean, I I was born obviously before the internet age was a thing, but I wasn't an adult, so I can't really speak to before. But yeah, that does seem to be how things operate. You just keep working at things and picking at it and doing your best, and hope maybe one day you it it breaks into the greater consciousness. Sometimes it never does. You know, some people will work at it forever and it doesn't happen. But that doesn't mean what they're doing isn't valuable. Just because you're not a major influencer or super successful whatever that doesn't mean the work you aren't putting out isn't important um i i think that's kind of maybe some of our narcissism where we think oh they have to be huge for what they're doing to have any value but, uh, to be honest i mean what makes those what makes the value is from the relationships and what what you're giving to people it doesn't matter if it's big or it's small if you're positively impacting your life that should be enough but that might be my copium, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, here's a, uh, this is kind of a final question before we head over to a post show. But the when I put out that message for people, like you know, who should who should I interview? Who should I talk to? And you had sent me a message. Why did why send me the message? What is it that you want people to know about you that that you you know like what what is it that you wanted people to know that you wanted to be on this show? I mean, obviously, promotion is, is a little part of it, right? Because I do want people to check out my stuff. But I, I had seen your show with Mr. Lofty, who's one of my friends. He's an awesome I, – I love Lofty for so many reasons, um, including the way he treats his family. He, I don't know a lot of people know. Lofty has a, has a brother he's very close with and takes care of that has some very heavy medical disabilities. And they, yeah. people don't really know that much about going on. But he handles all that really great. So I'm really proud to be his friend. Um, but I also like, I like people like you. I thought I, the shows I've seen were really good and you're interesting on Twitter. And I was like, well, he, <laughs> he, he too is another soul that wants to build something and, and do some good. And that, that always attracts me and I'm happy to meet or talk with them. Plus I have an ego and every now and then someone needs to stroke it. So, <laughs> oh man, well, I'm glad we connected, dude. Like this is, uh, this has been fun and I, we definitely need to do it again. Um, I have, uh, I apologize for having to cut it a little short, but this is just, for me, it's even better because we will come back and we'll do a follow-up because I do want to talk about more of the stuff that you're into, some of the stuff you've covered. Uh, and what we talked about today, I think was really informative. And I think, well, I would say a lot of people have gotten a little bit more, um, out of, uh, understanding you and knowing you and my audience, if they didn't know you before, I think they have a good idea of who you are now. Um, but for those who don't know, if you are a subscriber or a paid member over on Locals, I will be posting this post-show interview I do with him. Uh, in just uh, Well, it'll be tomorrow morning that it goes up. So if you want to get access to that, you can go over to Locals. The link is down below in the description. Please uh, become a member over there. If you want to, if you're a paid member on YouTube, you just got to send me a DM with your Locals name and make sure you follow that page. And I can just make you a paid member over there. You don't have to subscribe twice. So thank you again. Um, Pete, for your time, uh, give everyone well, a quick, uh, me. yeah, give people a run on what you got coming up and where they can find you. Yeah. So culturescape's the big thing. Uh, that's culturescape on YouTube. Uh, you have the little, the little guy from mob psycho 100. Well, my little avatar there that looks very like him, uh, for, um, reasons we won't go into, uh, culturescape is the show that interviews the geek creators and influencers that built nerd culture. So we talk with writers, authors, designers, developers. Um, just the last few episodes have been fantastic. We talked with David Jaffe. He's the creator of God of War and Twisted Metal. Uh, my last episode, we talked with uh, Stephen Rooney. He's a senior writer on Baldur's Gate 3, which is my current obsession. Uh, really great show. We've had all kinds of interesting people. Uh, we're trying to get a few more from the other side of the aisle because I want to have a nice mix. I got some names coming up that I think will surprise people, but it's a, it's a good show. It's something I make. I want people, you know, just if, if you can watch it by yourself, you're like mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, you know, just put it on, relax, enjoy. That makes me happy. And of course, I'm on Twitter at Happy Warrior P, you know, if you want to hear all my terrible uh, entertainment and health takes. Well, thanks again, dude. Um, there's also um, a request in the chat to push your Substack. You do you write a Substack? I do. I I don't. I it's very my poor belated Substack. I'm not very good at keeping up on that. That's my fault. But yeah, there is the Happy Warrior Substack. I am very. <laughs> I am. It is very mistreated that the poor Substack. 
I hear I started one a while ago and I let it go. I got an email reminder of of something about it the other day and I was like I really should get back to this cuz I don't have a website anymore which I used to blog on and I thought that Substack would be a good uh alternative which I might still do but you know doing content it's a lot it's a lot to keep up with and I got a family and all that stuff so but thank you no, again. No, I I completely understand with my health difficulties it's figuring out what I can do, how much I can do it, it changes from day to day. So no, I get nice. it. I can do better though. It's not just, it's not just a health thing. It's like, I'm also lazy. <laughs> oh, I hear that. Nope, I hear I'm that. not going to pretend not to be. <laughs> um, well, thank you chat. Thank you for watching and everyone who watched on the VOD. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. We are going over to locals now to finish up the interview and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Doodles.